thank you so much for the book of First Samuel. Um, thank you for the ways that you continue to speak to your people even now. Uh, it is a magnificent story, but it is also a heartbreaking one. It has continued to challenge us. So God, make us ready. Uh, would your spirit continue to convict, inspire, and teach us? Uh, and be alive and well among us. We trust you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in my small group this week, many people, or rather a couple of people, shared the discouragement they were feeling because of the current political climate in our country. Others then shared how anxious and fearful they were about the upcoming presidential election. After they shared, I realized that I too had been experiencing fear about my own lack of control and knowledge of what the future would hold. It reminded me of the anxiety I have felt in the past when there was a transition in leadership, whether it was at my former job or with the recent bishop election in our own denomination. I can't help but see parallels from what my small group was experiencing and what the elders of Israel were experiencing. As Samuel was getting older and there needed to be a change in leadership over Israel. Although the parallels to Samuel's story definitely fall short, as we live in two very different time periods and governmental systems, the anxiety over who will lead is real. Whether it is as big as who leads the United States or as small as who will lead the local PTA. As Christians during these times, it is imperative that we ask ourselves, who or what do we put our trust in? Let's read our passage this morning to see who the Israelites put their trust in. Or really, in this case, who they didn't. So please turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 8 and follow along as I read aloud. This morning, it's the whole chapter. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not follow in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us, then, a king to govern us like other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them just as they have done to me from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. Now then, listen to their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them 
and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen, and to run before his chariots, and he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his courtiers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, No, but we are determined to have a king over us, so that we also may be like other nations, and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to their voice and set a king over them. Samuel then said to the people of Israel, Each of you return home. This is the word of the Lord. So we see from this passage that Samuel was growing old. And his sons, like Eli's sons, were not fit to judge and rule over Israel. I'm sure the Israelite elders were thinking back to the abuse perpetrated by Eli's sons and were scared. The question remained, so who was to rule Israel? Whether out of fear or just plain rebellion, the Israelite elders band together and demand that Samuel appoint a human king to rule. I have some compassion for Israel's elders who went to Samuel to demand a king they could see and touch and who was like the kings from other nations. But even though I have compassion for them, in the midst of their anxiety and sin, the Israelites made three crucial mistakes. First, they rejected Yahweh as king. Second, they did not heed Yahweh's warning about human kings. And third, they wanted to be like other nations. I want us to take a closer look at these mistakes and see what we can learn from them. May we look at them with humility as we consider our own lives too. The first mistake, they rejected Yahweh as king. One of the most heartbreaking aspects of this story is that in asking Samuel for a king, Israel seems to forget that Yahweh is their king. Many psalms sing praises about God as king. Psalm 93, the Lord is king. He is robed in majesty. 
The Lord is robed, he is girded with strength. Psalm 95. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In the hand, in his hand are the depths of the earth. Psalm 96. Say among the nations, the Lord is king. The world is firmly established. It shall never be moved. Since the Exodus, when the Lord delivered the Israelites from slavery, he has been walking with, guiding, and caring tenderly for his people Israel. He has listened to their cries, fought their battles, and brought them into the promised land. Even in 1 Samuel chapter 7, which Colleen preached on last week, we see that the Lord routed the Philistines, doing what an ancient king does best, leading his people into military victory. And during the time of the judges, when the Israelites were off worshiping other gods, Yahweh still responded to their cries for deliverance, and he came down and he saved them. Yahweh's faithfulness to his people is staggering. And yet, the Israelite elders, in fear and anxiety, come to Samuel and demand a human king, thereby rejecting Yahweh as king. The Israelites ultimately failed to trust in God and turned elsewhere for comfort, security, and hope for a future. I think the Israelites' decision to reject Yahweh as king stands as a warning to us to consider who or what we put our trust in. When we were praying in my small group on Thursday night, one of the members, in light of people's requests, prayed, God, help us to put our trust in you, not in elected officials or our government, but help us to put our trust in you. This might sound like a simple prayer, and it was. But yet, if you were sitting in our group, you knew that the person praying it meant it with every fiber in their being, and it was actually quite radical. What if we showed with our attitudes, actions, and presence that our trust was in God? I left the group feeling the power Of what trust in God means. As God's people, we have committed to love Him and to put our ultimate trust in Him. The Israelites' mistake of demanding a human king revealed who their trust was in. What do our actions, attitudes, and decisions reveal about where our trust lies? The second mistake. Israel did not heed Yahweh's warning about human kings. Yahweh ultimately told Samuel, Now then, listen to their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Although Yahweh did concede their request for a king, he warned them that a human king will make himself the center and take and take and take. 
You saw what I read. Be warned, the king will take your sons, take your daughters, take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards, take one-tenth of your grain and vineyards, take your male and female slaves, and take your flocks. The culmination of Yahweh's warning is, and you shall be his slaves. The king will go so far as to own and take your life for his use. Without realizing it, the Israelites were undoing the liberation of the Exodus and choosing to be enslaved again. What are warnings that we are refusing to heed from God about who or what we have chosen to put our trust in? Ash Wednesday is one of my favorite days in the church calendar, and it also happens to be this upcoming Wednesday. Because it is a day that forces me to reassess my life and heed God's warnings that, first of all, I am mortal. I will not live forever. And second, there is sin in my life that I need to repent from. The whole season of Lent will give me time to see the forces that are demanding my time, my money, and my allegiance, and to consider who or what is enslaving me. Yahweh rightly assessed human kings as consumed by greed, power, and self-preservation, and we should, of course, be on our guard against them. But what are the things right now in our lives that want to take and take and take from us that God is warning us against? For me, it is my perfectionism, and desire for control that will take and take and take from me until I am a slave to it. But God is a liberating God from the Old Testament to the New and consistently warns us against powers in our world that seek to enslave us or powers in our life. And so we must listen to his warnings. Third mistake. Israel wanted to be like other nations. Twice, Israel says they want a king because they want to be like other nations. Now, you might think, what's the big deal? What's the harm in trying to fit in? But what makes Israel's request so displeasing in the Lord's and Samuel's eyes is that Israel's very purpose is to not be like the other nations. To be Israel is to be set apart, to be God's holy and chosen people. Deuteronomy 7 says, For you are a holy nation to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the nations on the earth to be his own. When Israel chooses to be like other nations, it strikes at the core of the intimate relationship between God and his chosen people, who are to stand as a light to the other nations. Israel's mistake of wanting to be like other nations challenges us to think about our own unique calling as Christians all over the world to be God's people. As Christians, we are called to be salt and light. As salt, we are to preserve and magnify the good things in God's world. And as light, 
we are to be set apart as examples. Matthew writes, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Thus, when periods of leadership transition come, we have to honestly ask ourselves, what will make us different, not the same as those around us? Will we carry out our particular call as Christians to love our enemies, be peacemakers, and seek justice for the most vulnerable? Will we be slow to anger and slow to speak, release our judgments to God, and ultimately place our hope in the kingdom of God, not the kingdoms of this world? If we do these things, and of course search the scriptures to find many more, our light will shine brilliantly and glorify our Father in heaven. In looking at the three mistakes that Israel made, we see clearly that they did not place their trust in God. They did not heed God's warnings, and they did not embrace their calling as God's holy people. And yet, despite their mistakes, God did not rage at or punish them. In spite of his disapproval, Yahweh carried out Israel's request and instructed Samuel to appoint a king. You can see the long saga of kingship begin with Saul and David and the rest of 1 Samuel. And then you'll see a long succession of mostly faithless and unjust kings continue after that. Today, though, we are privileged to know the beginning of the end of the story. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the long-anticipated and waited-for King, has entered into our broken and humble world. Jesus declared in Mark and throughout the Gospels, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. Jesus, our King, has ushered in a new age of God's rule and reign, and we are invited to be a part of it. God's kingdom is not tied to any nation, nor does it answer to any borders. God's good news is that the king the Israelites were looking for in all the wrong places has come, and we can put our trust and our hope in him. Only Christ is unlike any human king that we have known. He is a king who has subjected himself to the utter agony of the cross, who instead of taking, taking, taking from us, has given his very life for us and has become one of us. He has shown us that to truly be God is to love the world in a selfless and cruciform way. As the story of 1 Samuel 8 has asked us to consider where our trust lies this morning, I want us to remember two things. That the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. And that the king we worship is the risen Christ. Let us reflect on these truths. Thank you for listening. 
If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.